I want you to imagine that you have a good dog and a bad dog fighting for your soul. Which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. Lust, if you continue to feed it, will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I was first introduced to pornography in about the seventh grade. About 12 years old, some friends and I found a stash of Playboys. I was just, you know, a kid. I wanted to find out more about sex. Everybody was talking about sex, you know what I mean? We didn't know what it was, but it was like, hey, what is this? How does this work? And at the same time, I was exploring my body. So looking at the Playboy pictures and masturbating started out early. And, you know, from there, it just kept moving. I was just under 15 when I lost my virginity. I had the uh, opportunity with um, an older girl, and uh, I was like, okay, let's give this a shot. I had a girlfriend in high school, and uh, we had been dating, we actually dated for quite a while, and um, we started having sex. I thought that she was the one. I mean, in my young love, it was like this girl was going to be the one that I was going to marry. As I went to college, I joined a fraternity, and from there, the world just changed. It was not only the availability of sex, it was the attitude towards sex that changed. It was like, no big deal. Who did you sleep with? Oh, who did you sleep with? Oh, let's go to a strip club. Hey, porn's on. Wow, okay. The whole thing became, so what? Like, let's just have a huge party. Let's have a great time. It was guilt from the standpoint that there were people that I hurt, people that I truly liked that I just used for sex. But as far as there was their guilt about eternal consequences and hurting a God that loved me, no. I mean, I was, you know, having sex frequently, um, you know, with a girlfriend and with others. I was looking at porn at least weekly. I was masturbating every day. It had definitely progressed. I never felt convicted to change. It was like, I feel really bad for what I did. I'm really sorry. But I'm going to keep doing it anyways. After college, I was lonely. And so my dad said, why don't you go to this church that I'm going to? And it was another big church, and we went. That's where I accepted Christ. But I accepted Christ as more of my Savior and not my Lord. I mean, if anybody needed to get out of jail free card at that point in time, it was me, right? But I still had all this garbage, you know? I mean, hey, I love Jesus, but I'm still looking at porn every day. I'm still having sex outside of marriage. I'm still going out with my friends and hitting the bars and doing and trying to pick up women. You know, I'd even stop in at the adult bookstore, you know, and look at some of the, the peep show booths and all that other stuff. Just like, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I'm a Christian. What am I doing? I kind of went, you know, God, I'm really messing up. I'm kind of living this devil life. I loved the idea of having a family and a wife. I thought to myself, you know, if I get married, I'm going to be able to have God and all my... Sexual needs are going to be met with my wife. Well, that was not the case. I uh, met a girl who actually bought me a drink, and, uh, you know, less than a year later, that turned out to be my first wife. You know, it was never enough. It never really satisfied, you know, with marriage and stuff. You really carry all that with you. It was my secret little sin. I didn't tell my wife anything that was going on. My wife at the time loved me. We had a son together. I mean, you know, we were going through our first couple of years of marriage. I was just this awful, rotten husband. 
You know, the best lie is always what? A half-truth. So you begin to tell a little bit. I'm having some problems with uh, pornography. Not, I'm looking at pornography and masturbating every day. There is a big difference in those two statements. I've been uh, having problems with lust. Not, I'm going to the strip club once a week. You know, uh, I think I may have crossed a line with a girl. Not, I've had sex with somebody else. So you start going down that path, and all of a sudden, she's just like, man, you're just a liar. You're a cheat. I want nothing to do with you, and I can do better than you. And she was absolutely right. On the one hand, I was just shamed, guilt-ridden of what I'd done, and just felt horrible. And on the other hand, I was like playing the victim, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she left me. If only she was a better wife, it would have been so much better. Not only was I lying to everybody else, but I was lying to myself and believing it. So... I did what I'd done before. I went back to church. It was like, I needed a pick-me-up. And of course, Jesus loves me. So I needed to go back and get some of Jesus' love. Just began living my lie all over again. It was literally, as a dog returns to its vomit, here I was back completing the cycle. As my second wife and I were getting to know each other before we were married, I did share quite a bit of what had happened. I did share the fact that I was unfaithful. I did, I did share quite a bit of that during the process. But as always, it was the uh, edited version. Her and I wanted the same things in life. And I looked at it and I said, this girl and I can have a great life together. So let's move forward with it. And we hit some major bumps in the road pretty quick. And so from there, I was just like, wow, this isn't a good marriage. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to bail on it. And she was a good wife. And I just didn't really care. I just went off and did what I'd been doing before. Life at home was absolute hell. I had filed for a divorce. We were separated. We had had a physical altercation. And this is all due to me, to my sin and my lies. And I was also making my son's life hell because he couldn't come over to my house because things at my house were so terrible. I remember him telling me, I hate you, Dad. I was this awful person. I knew it. I hated the person I had become. I felt like my situation was hopeless. In spite of what the world tries to tell us about lust, here's the truth. Lust is a destructive force in our world. It's destroying individual lives, it's destroying relationships, it's destroying morality. Lust is a destructive force in our world. And it doesn't discriminate. It's not just, as the cliché would say, a problem with men. It's a problem for men and women. In fact, one-third of all pornography consumers are women, and addiction, sexual addiction among women is on the rise. It doesn't discriminate. Lust is a destructive force in our world because it doesn't discriminate between young and old. In fact, once again, the cliché says, young people have a problem with this. This is a young person's deal. But the truth is, as many older people are hung up on this, being destroyed by this as younger people. It doesn't discriminate between successful and those who are failing or struggling in life. Often those who are successful say, this isn't my problem, this is for those who are trying to cover up their failures. But the truth is, many of the most successful people in our world have been 
debilitated by this problem. It's a problem for all of us. Uh, Donna Rice Hughes says, if you don't think you can fall into any kind of sexual temptation, you're either godlier than David, wiser than Solomon, or stronger than Samson. And that is a brilliant quote if you know anything about the Bible because all three of these have been called heroes of the faith. David, who had character that was unbelievably strong, was brought down by lust. Solomon, who was unbelievably wise, was brought down by lust. Samson, who was unbelievably power, was brought down by lust. It is a problem for all of us, and even those of us who are doing the best in life can be taken down by it. And I think if we're going to overcome this, then we have to overcome what we're being told in this world, that it's a victimless thing, it's harmless. In fact, it can actually help you in your marriage and your sexual relationships. It's just absolutely wrong and false. God is true in this one. It's a destructive force. And I just want to share with you what God says it does to us when we allow ourselves to give in to this first thing it does, it's a destructive force because it disables love. It literally disables our capacity to love. It's the antithesis of love. You see, lust is totally selfish as a behavior. It it causes us to totally disregard and dismiss the other person. It, It makes ugly what God designed for beauty, sex, in the context of marital love and commitment. Lust destroys our capacity for intimacy. It ruins a ton of marriages. There's all kinds of junk out there today that says this can enhance your marriage. It can make your, exci- your marriage more exciting. It can, it can jumpstart your sex life. It will destroy everything your marriage is supposed to be. It will ruin it because it robs you of the capacity for what marriage is supposed to be about, what sex is supposed to be about, intimacy. Lust creates a ton of loneliness. Robert's story said so many things about what he thought it would give, but what it really brought, and loneliness was a part of it. Lust is destructive. And bottom line, it undercuts our ability to express that which God created us most to express in this world, love. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, but the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to know what it takes to experience God's best in this world? You want to know what it takes to experience a life of fullness in this world? You want to know what makes life great in this world? Love. Loving God and loving others. And the problem with lust is it's a destructive force because it disables our capacity to truly love. It is fully selfish, which leaves us broken and empty. It's a destructive force in our lives because lust diminishes people. It literally diminishes them. Lust lowers people who are made in the image of God to the level of an inanimate object. Lust totally devalues other people in our eyes, the feelings and hopes and hurts and dreams of other people mean nothing because they become just objects in our own selfish world. They become objects to use and then discard. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, set you apart, make you different and holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God created us in his image. He didn't create us as empty shells, as bodies, as inanimate objects. He created us with soul and with spirit in his image. And lust destroys that. It lowers us to simple physical beings instead of spiritual beings, people with value. Lust is a destructive force in our world because it literally dishonors God. It it demeans God. It dismisses God. And since God is the source of life, we'll never really experience the fullness of life without him. And yet lust pushes him away from us. If we want to experience joy or purpose or significance or value in this world, we need God because he's the source of those things, but lust dishonors him, pushes him away from us. And so it's destructive. Look at how God himself says it in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie And worshipped and served created things rather than the creator of things. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. There are so many people, even people of faith, who have started dismissing the idea that lust is a destructive force. They have allowed it to become a part of their life. What's the big deal? It's no problem. Here's the problem. God says it's wrong. You can't honor him, know him, follow him, love him, experience him. If you're disobeying him, lust is a destructive force. Dishonoring God, you'll never experience his fullness as long as you're giving yourself to this. Lust is a destructive force because it deteriorates our morality. All of us have been given, though it's been distorted by sin and our world, we've been given a conscience, a a sense of right and wrong, a sense of morality, but, but lust pollutes it, deteriorates it. It blurs the lines between right and wrong. It, it actually weakens our capacity to say the one word we need to say if we're ever going to experience life at its best, no. I mean, lust deteriorates our capacity. It robs us of the life we long for. And, and anyone who's ever participated, as Robert so honestly told his story, in lust knows that it doesn't live up to its billing knows that it weakens our character. But God's given us a story in the Bible that just puts it on the bottom shelf and is undeniable. And it doesn't matter how strong your character is, how strong your desires are, how, how much you long to love God and live for God, it can break you down. Because look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. There was a guy named Saul who was king of Israel, and he rebelled against God, and so God said, you'll no longer be my king. And it says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. I mean, can you imagine God looking down and saying, this guy, this woman has great character, character after my own heart, all the right longings, has made all the right choices. This person's reflecting my image in this world. This is a man that deserves to be a king for me. But even this man, when he allowed lust to become a part of his life, was destroyed 
Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. It's his story. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. It makes sense because it was long before Ambien was made. And so, you know, I mean, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. Got up and walked around on his palace roof. Pretty innocent so far. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, you need to understand, I've been in Jerusalem, been at all Jerusalem, and it's built upon a hill, and his palace would have been at the top, and they had homes all the way around. And back then, they, even the rooftop was used. It's not like they had air conditioning and sealed off their homes. Even the rooftop was considered a part of the living space, and bathing would have been a normal practice there. And, and innocently, not being able to sleep on his palace roof, looked down, and ooh, there was this woman bathing. I mean, that was an accidental glance, it was an accidental look, but it became much, much more because the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. He obviously languished in his look. He chose to keep looking and the man said, this is, this is off limits, David. This is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, you know, one of your soldiers who's on the, on the battlefield fighting where maybe you as the king could be but aren't, you know, that, this is off limits, but David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. What did God say about David? He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who had the right longings and had made the right choices, but when he allowed lust a little part of his life, it destroyed his morality. It incapacitated him when it came to saying no, and it ultimately destroyed him. It led him to make Horrible choices for this season in his life. And though his failure wasn't final, his failure was unbelievably impacting, as it always is with us. And I have to tell you, my great fear, I am not divorced from the reality of this human experience. I'm not divorced from the same things that plague you and tempt you. And, and my great fear in life is that I will finish poorly. I mean that I will have been used by God for a season of life and then I will blow it. As I've looked out the course of church history, I've seen there have been a lot of people who've run the race for a while really well and then they fell. I don't want that to be me. But it will be me unless I learn the lessons of David, unless I, unless I learn the lessons that help me to avoid this issue. And the same is true of you. And so in looking at David, I realized... There's this natural downward spiral that happened in his life that will happen in all of our lives if we're not careful. And it starts just like it did with David with, with what I'm going to call the so-called innocent look. That's where the downward spiral happens. We're living in a world where it's easy to accidentally, metaphorically be on the roof and get a glance of something we really shouldn't see, we really shouldn't be looking at. I mean, it's so easy in this world. To get that glance, whether it's on a television or the computer and something comes across and, whoo, it's there. The so-called innocent look. But the so-called innocent look isn't innocent at all. When once it passes by, we look at it just a little bit more. Would have been one thing if he had been on the roof and went, whoa! But instead, he was on the roof and he went, whoa! The so-called innocent look, you know what I mean. It's, it's the kind of lust that most people say, oh, come on, that's innocent, it doesn't hurt anybody. And, and this is what they say, this is the philosophy of our age. It's okay to look as long as you don't, what? Yeah, come on, who's it hurt? It's okay to look 
as long as you don't touch. You know, I could have bought into that if I had never been the dad of a daughter. But when I had a 13-year-old girl and a 30-year-old man was looking at her, it mattered to me. It mattered. It's not okay to look. It's wrong. In fact, I used to take my girls into public areas. I wanted, to, I wanted them to learn what could be in the heart of men. I wanted them to learn how to discern what the guy they were dating was like. And so I took them in the public areas and I say, just watch men's eyes. Just watch men's eyes. And it was embarrassing and it was disgusting because whether they were 80 or 30, men would just devour women as if they were nothing. And I taught them, watch the guy's eyes that you're dating in public areas. And you'll know what's in their heart. It matters what you look at. It matters what our eyes see. And because of this, and because I don't want to fail, not because I'm extraordinary, not because I'm stronger than anyone else, but because I don't want to fail, because I don't want to experience what David did, because I don't want to lose out on all that God's planned for me, I have really tried to protect myself from this. I haven't been perfect. I haven't been without failure, but I've really tried. And so any time I would be on the metaphorical roof when, in our culture when, you know, a woman or a, a, a form of nudity would come up, I would immediately block my eyes, immediately. I mean, cover them up, cover that. And when I was with my kids, they'd see it. When I was with my wife, and here's what I've learned. Most people don't do this. But my wife has thanked me now for 30 years because she says, I knew that you loved me and I was enough because you didn't need to look at them. My kids learned that though I wanted to look, I didn't look. And there is the possibility of escape and self-control. And I have protected myself from a lot of disaster, though I haven't been perfect. But here's the truth. It's never okay to lust. Never. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, don't touch. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know what Jesus says? It's not okay to look. It's not okay. Lust is a destructive force in our life that disables our love. And I'm telling you, it's killed many of us, ruined us. And then the so-called innocent look turns into the intentional look. The intentional look. You know, David accidentally saw her, and then he looked innocently and said, Wow, she's good looking. God, good work, good work. You know, that kind of deal. It's just art. But then he chose to keep looking, to keep extracting for his own pleasure. And at this stage, lust is not something that just happens. At this stage, lust is a choice and lust is planned. The person is looking for opportunities to lust. good example of this is pornography. I thought our video with the song Radioactive displayed it perfectly, whether men or women. Many of us are going to the computer and turning it on on purpose to see this junk. And this is where lust becomes a significant part of a person's life. Lust becomes the lens through which we see other people and see ourselves. It distorts our sense of sexuality and our view of sex itself, and it isn't easy to overcome at this point. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verses 25 to 28. Don't lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to nothing, to a loaf of bread. And the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. Lust is not an innocent activity that will not harm you. Lust is a destructive activity that will burn you up and destroy you. Don't buy the junk our culture selling. Whether it's Oprah or someone else, it will not enhance your life. It will hurt it. It will not build your marriage. It will destroy it. Stay away from it. It'll kill you. And then the so-called innocent look that becomes the intentional look, as David makes so, so obvious, becomes the inescapable look. This man who started as having a heart for God was trapped by the look to where he couldn't even stop when he knew it was another man's wife and when he knew it was a soldier's wife and when he knew it could destroy him, he couldn't stop. At this point, at the inescapable look point, people are trapped. They feel hopelessly defeated, imprisoned by lust. They're sitting in a prison cell of their own making and they can't get out of it. It controls them. They don't control it. And this is when it's described as an addiction. As Robert's story made so obvious. This is not an innocent activity, though it can start seemingly innocently. It's a destructive activity. Look at 2 Timothy 2.26, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. When we give ourselves to lust, we become prisoners of the evil plan of the evil one to destroy us. And this is where it really gets serious because, you see, Jesus came so that we could be free, so that we wouldn't be sitting in a prison cell, though free on the outside and bondage on the inside. Jesus came to set us free. But lust deprives us of freedom. Lust deprives us of it. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey them as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you choose to be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or choose to be a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness, it's your choice. And when we choose to lust, we are choosing to become a slave to that which will destroy us. I believe many of us are living far below what God created us to live. Many of us are experiencing the emptiness that Robert talked about in his story. Many of us are experiencing the losses that come with what we pursue as gain. Many of us are being destroyed and imprisoned by lust. But there is an answer. In fact, the application I want to share with you this weekend in this series, Breaking Out, is that if we're going to break out and claim the freedom and fulfillment that Jesus came to give us, we have to, at all costs, with all of our energy, as a high priority, we have to get beyond lust. We have to get beyond it. We have to get beyond it. Though it is a real influence in every area of life. We have to get by it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart, different from the world, not conformed to the world, holy, not unholy. And, and so many people are looking for God's will. Man, I want to know what God's will is. I want to know what God's will is. I want to know what God's will is. But you know what we care about? We care about, I want to know what God's will is, where I live. Hawaii or Michigan. Hey, here's a bit of wisdom. Hawaii. 
I mean, serious. I mean, that's not a tough one. I want to know God's will. You know, should I be a lawyer or should I be a teacher? Should I be a factory worker? What should I be? You know? I'm going to tell you, more important than where you live and what you become vocationally, God's will deals with character, and it's God's will that you should be sanctified, holy, not unholy, that you should become sanctified. How? By avoiding sexual immorality, that which our world is giving itself to, that each of you should learn to do what kindergarten should learn to do, control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like those who don't know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Remember when I said it it diminishes people? Makes them objects instead of people reflecting God's image? That's what that last part's saying. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. When you lust after another person, you are taking advantage of them. You are dismissing them as having any value. You are absolutely betraying the love that God's called you to show them. We have to get beyond lust. And God gives us some principles that we can apply and need to apply. And I'm not saying it's easy. This is complex. This is about our wiring. This is about our mess and messed up philosophies and thinking. But, but if we'll apply these principles and work at it, we can get beyond lust and experience freedom. The first thing it takes is confession. If we're going to get beyond lust, it takes confession. So I expect to see you in my office Monday morning. No, that's not it. I'm not talking. I don't want to hear your crap. (laughs) Enough crap of my own. You start spilling your crap on me, I'll give you some crap. I mean, that's how that... Look it. We're talking about confessing to God. We will never experience getting beyond lust until... We get honest with God. And that's what confession is. Getting honest with God. Acknowledging lust for what it is. Sin. Wrong. Destructive. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Too many of us are trying to hide who we are in front of God instead of confessing who we are to God. And you need to know, he already knows. The only one you're hurting is you. Confession allows you to go from guilty to clean. If we're going to get beyond lust, then it takes evaluation, evaluation. Whereas confession is getting honest with God, evaluation is where we get honest with ourselves. We have to We have to get honest with ourselves and we have to find out what's driving us to give ourselves to lust. It doesn't produce what we want to produce, though there might be some momentary pleasure. It then leaves us more empty and more guilty and more in darkness. It never produces what we want. So why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep doing it? We have to get honest with ourselves. What's driving me to want to take from someone like this? And I have to tell you, I I told you earlier, I try and block my eyes when something comes along and I I try and protect myself from that. But I'm going to be really, really honest. I don't want to block my eyes. Are you kidding? I want to look. Why? I mean, why am I driven to see? I... I'm old enough to know that every single woman on the planet has the same equipment. 
How come I have to see it all? I mean, it's not true in any other area of life. Come on, I'm, I've seen a tractor. I don't need to see any more. Oh, there's a red one. Oh, my gosh. There's a green one. It's blue. Oh, that carburetor, it's blowing me away. I mean, seriously? I don't have to look underneath every tractor. Why am I so driven in this area? And as I discover that, I can start protecting myself from it. And God says I should make evaluation in my prayer. Look at Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. I'm not seeing it clearly. I need you to help me. Lead me in the right way because I, by nature, am going in the wrong way. We have to get honest with ourselves. Why do you keep turning on that computer? Why do you keep choosing to watch those kind of movies? Why? Why? Why every time someone that you're attracted to, why do you always want to go further than you should in how you look at them? Why? Be honest with yourself. And then, if we're going to get beyond lust, it takes communication. It takes communication. Uh, Confession, get honest with God. Evaluation, get honest with yourself. Communication, get honest with another person that you can trust. And that you can trust is a very important part of the phrase because there are a lot of people you can't trust. There are a lot of people who will use information to destroy you. That's not who you share with. There's something about being able to share with another person honestly the darkness within that allows for you to experience the sense of relief that you're finally being honest and that allows you to experience forgiveness when two eyeballs are looking at you and forgiving you and it gives you a sense of accountability that's really important. Look what God says about this in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can experience real healing, real deliverance. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. One of the reasons we push groups around here is because we want for you to be building relationships of trust to where when junk is going on in your life, you can share with someone that you trust. Good starting place here is here at Northridge. This is such a big issue with all people that we have sexual integrity groups and these are people who are honest about how it's driven them in the past and it's a great place to start because how can they betray you when they are you? And they're sharing. It's, it takes communication. But if we're going to ultimately get beyond lust, which is robbing us of so much freedom, it takes transformation. It takes transformation. You know what a big problem with me is? My head is messed up and my heart is messed up. I mean, any of you like that? I mean, I think the wrong thoughts and I, I'm driven for the wrong things and I'm just messed up. That's what Robert was saying. And this is me. And if I'm ever going to really get beyond lust, I've got to get a new head and I've got to get a new heart. I've got to get a new life. But I can't do that on my own. Look at Romans 12 too. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop being poured into its mold, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is where Jesus comes in because you see, only Jesus can transform us. And you say, well, how can Jesus transform me? Well, Jesus can transform you because you see, you can't get a new heart until you lose your old heart. You can't get a new head until you lose your old head. You see, Jesus came down and he lived 
the life all of us were meant to live and none of us have lived without sin, perfect love for God and for others. All light, all beauty. But then he did something weird. He mounted a cross. He was nailed to that cross. Why? Because the wages of our sin was death, but he had never sinned. Here's what he was doing. He was doing organ donation. He was... He was taking our bad organs, our bad head, and our bad heart, and he was suffering the death that they bring. And then he was buried, and he took all that junk with him and buried it in a tomb. That's the only way we can escape our head and heart. But then he rose again. Why? So that he could give us his mind and his heart. Here's the great news of Christianity. Not religion, but a relationship with Jesus. Here's the great news. Though all of us have written a lot of bad chapters in our book, It doesn't have to end with a bad chapter. The truth is that failure doesn't have to be final. The truth is that the rest of the story can be very different. But if we're going to experience this transformation, we have to claim it by trusting in Jesus, first of all. By trusting in Jesus. He's the only one that can give us a new head and a new heart. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are gone. The new has come. I believe that many of us here, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you've been through catechism or not through catechism, whether you've been baptized or never been baptized, I believe a lot of us here have never experienced Jesus transforming our head and heart in our life. You're not in Jesus. You haven't started over. You haven't been transformed. This is your moment. I can't do it for you. I wish I could. This church can't do it for you. We wish we could. But Jesus did it for you, and all you have to do is trust in him. And so before I wrap down the rest of the talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust him. In fact, I'm going to ask you, if you're here at Northridge Plymouth, if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer, and if you're at Northridge Ann Arbor Saline or Northridge Brighton Howell or On Demand, if you'd just bow with me in a word of prayer. And as we bow... In your heart, just make these words yours. Just say, God, I need a new life. I need you to transform me. I've sinned against you. I confess it. I've messed up. I've done the wrong things. But I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross to forgive me for those sins. And you rose again to give me a new life. And so I'm trusting in you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I wrap down the rest of this talk, I just want to encourage you, if you prayed with me, please let us know. In our live experiences, we give you out these programs, and there's a connection card on the inside, and all you have to do is rip it out. It's perforated, and fill it out. And on the bottom in that orange, there's a circle you check that says, I just prayed with you to receive Jesus. And if you did, please please check that off. There are boxes at every exit you can send that in and if you're watching Northridge On Demand you can just hit what next and do the same thing. We want you to know how to grow in your relationship with God and February 8th and 9th this next weekend here at Northridge and all three of our campuses is Starting Point and it's a great starting place. Sign up. You can go to the lobbies and sign up or you can do it online but sign up for Starting Point and start growing. But if we're going to be transformed once we're trusting in Jesus then we have to be growing in Jesus. We have to be growing in Jesus. I have found out when I stop growing in Jesus, I'm stopping my trusting in Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Peter, who failed a lot and then finally succeeded, said, like newborn babies, you need to crave pure spiritual milk. And he's talking about crave God's truth, the Bible, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation because faith comes from hearing and hearing by God's word. 
We need to keep growing. We need to keep getting into his truth and letting it set us free. This is why we're doing Living the Script here. Living the Script is where we're going to read through the New Testament together over eight weeks as a, as a church family. And we're reading a Bible where we've taken out the verse numbers and the chapter numbers and kind of reorganized it so it's, it's a reading like God's love story, like it was originally given. It's going to transform our lives. Why? Because when we grow in his truth, it sets us free. And we're going to have conversations about it. This, it starts Monday, by the way. You can get your books now in any of our settings, and, or you can even get them online. And, and it starts Monday. We're going to be reading and then getting in conversation groups. And if you're not in a group, you can come here to New Life Plus and be in a conversation, be growing. And if we're going to be transformed, we have to be trusting in Jesus and growing in Jesus and then depending on Jesus. I'm going to tell you, there's never a time when life requires me to cover up my eyes that I'm successful at covering up my eyes because, see, I, I'm really good at this. I'm a human being. I'm as manipulative as you are because, I mean, if, if I'm on my own and I'm not depending on Jesus, when I'm covering up my eyes, I'm making sure there's still room to see. I'm telling you the truth. I don't have the power to say no to that which I want so dysfunctionally. But he does. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I need to be transformed. I need to be depending on him. And finally, look at 1 Peter 4.2. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The person who's really following Jesus no longer fills his life with the earthly junk, but instead fills his life with God's good stuff, the will of God, You know what it takes if we're going to get beyond lust? It takes substitution. Substitution. I have to replace the things that used to lead me to the darkness with things that are going to lead me to the light. I need to get positive replacements. Idle time in front of a computer is one of the worst things you can have. So substitute something else for the idle time. What you do there? I mean, it can be simple. It's like you start, you know, you, you glance and you feel like, go run on a treadmill. I mean, substitute. I'm serious. Read the Bible. Do something. Watch Little House on the Prairie. It's going to be hard to get in trouble with that show. I mean, do something. But you know what I've really found? Lust is about serving myself. You know what the great substitution is? Serving others. Look for opportunities to serve that are consistent, that remove your idle time. This is why Two Million Meals is so cool. It's coming up February 14th, 15th, and 16th, right? And I got to tell you, this is so great. 10,000 volunteers we need to pack the two million meals to feed the hungry in this world. 10,000 volunteers. I was walking on thin ice on this one, right? And we're about two weeks away from two million meals. 10,000. So it's Super Bowl Sunday, so let me use a football illustration. If those 10,000 volunteers are 100 yards... You want to know where we are in recruiting those volunteers? We're on the four-yard line. Four-yard line. Only 400 spaces of the 10,000. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Only 400 spaces left. If you haven't signed up yet, if you haven't invited friends to be a part of it, you haven't invited neighbors or coworkers, please do it. 400. It's going to be gone in the next couple of days. It's going to be gone in the next couple of days. But serving is a great substitution. Here's the conclusion. Jesus came to set us free, but too many of us are sitting in prisons of our own making. 
Jesus came to set us free. If we're going to experience it, we have to claim it. We have to claim it. Earlier, we saw Robert's story. Robert, in bondage to lust, a failure, and you heard him at the end saying, I, I just was an awful person. I didn't even like myself. But his failure wasn't final. He had written some really bad chapters. But because of Jesus, that didn't have to be his last chapter. And it wasn't. Here's the rest of the story. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only the fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I needed to change. And when I saw how much damage I caused, it crushed me. But I remembered there was this guy, one man, who told me about Northridge's care ministries. Now, I had never stepped foot in a Northridge church. I had no clue about the place. So as I came in, I went into the men's group for sexual integrity. And it was there that I truly accepted Christ as both my Lord and my Savior. I learned about things that people didn't talk about. Things like confession, repentance, accountability, transformation. I can tell you the best and worst day of my life was the day that I confessed everything to my wife. Confessed that I was unfaithful in her marriage. Confessed about the fact that I was looking at pornography, the strip clubs, all. I confessed everything. And my wife was hurt. And yet, the first time, I was no longer a liar. For almost two decades, I had been nothing but a liar. And now, I was finally coming clean and telling the truth. My life changed for eternity. I knew I wasn't going back. And from there, it wasn't easy. We struggled for the next couple of years. But we came through it. The good news is, Northwood family, as I'm scared to death talking to 10,000 of you, that was nine long years ago. For the past seven years and today, my wife and I are part of the Care Ministries family. We're both facilitators, and we have seen God's amazing power. We are so pleased to have a purpose in our lives to help other people out of this addiction, to all the men in the men's sexual integrity group and the women in Beyond Betrayal who came before us. Thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for giving us hope. Because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to share our testimony. Thank you to my beautiful wife, Angela. We're celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary this Monday. And uh, I love you. Thank you for uh, sticking it out with me and for your forgiveness. And thank you most of all to Jesus. Without you, without your sacrifice on the cross, I would have nothing. So if you're sitting there in the audience and you're suffering with sexual sin, if you're watching your family fall apart, your friendships fall apart. If you feel hopeless, 
feel ashamed, let me tell you, you're not alone. And there's always hope in Jesus Christ. The things I did were shameful. I can tell you there is no shame in recovery. I had a new beat, a new heart, and a new soul.